Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. Stand with me and let's read together in Psalm 106, starting at verse 34. I had a wonderful day yesterday uh, with our Discipleship Institute, uh, Brother Jay Temple leading us in uh, discussion uh, session on spiritual warfare. Uh, the next uh, session, I believe, is February the 16th. February 16th is the next session. You'll want to put that on your calendar Saturday from 9 to 11. Psalm 106, beginning at verse 34. They, uh, speaking of Israel, did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood, thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the land of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel, and so sank down in their iniquity. Verse 44. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Will you say with me, Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace today, and we thank you for your mercy. And I pray, God, that you would help me this morning, Lord. I earnestly desire your spirit, Lord, to guide this message this morning. Father, I pray that in the things that we will discuss and the topics that we will talk about, Lord, that uh, we would have a passion for the glory of bearing your image. God, that you will help us to walk faithfully before you as a church with compassion and grace, yet one who stands firm upon the full conviction of God's word. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy today, and we pray, God, that you will guide us by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, working through the message this morning, it's gonna, the approach is going to be uh, a little differently from what maybe uh, we are, are used to, similar in some ways, but a little different in uh, other ways. And I really do earnestly desire... 
uh, your prayers, because some of the things that we'll talk about uh, this morning are difficult and hard sayings, and I think that um, by the end of the message that each and every one of us will have something that maybe sticks in our mind, a point that speaks to us, that says, uh, Lord, help me, help me, Lord. Um, We'll be talking about uh, some some difficult things, uh, abortion, racism, euthanasia. And after the message, there might be some children in the congregation that ask questions of uh, their parents. But I believe it's a topic that needs discussion, needs discussion in the church, needs discussion in the home, uh, even, even at a young age. This is a gospel subject. This is related to the gospel because it relates to God's image in people. You and I are image bearers of the Lord. That's what sets us apart as God's creation. If we are a church that is concerned and focused on the glorification of Jesus in the earth, then we must also be a people who are concerned about rescuing others. So Jesus can receive more glory from those who worship him. We want to be a church that is concerned about rescuing other people from sin and from iniquity and from the challenges of life. So there will be more people in the kingdom that will then reflect the full glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... As we begin the message, I want to share with you some tough truths because I think it's important for us to understand where we are as a culture and as a society. Just as here in Psalm 106, the psalmist writes and he presents us with some difficult truths about the nation of Israel. But I want you to stick with me through the end so that you are able to receive the grace that the Lord Jesus Christ desires for you and I to receive uh, as we walk together this journey. As I mentioned earlier, today is Sanctity of Life. Sunday. Tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. His birthday is on the 15th of January, but we celebrate it as a country on the third Monday in January. Today we recognize the plight of the unborn. Tomorrow we recognize a dark season in our country's history in which people were judged based on skin color instead of character. I believe that these two days represent bookends, the freedom to live and the freedom to live with dignity as an equal. Abortion and racism are products of the idol factory of the heart. John Calvin said that was the heart, and it's an idol factory when it's not sanctified by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We often separate abortion and Racism, but what I want to assure to you, at least in our country's history, they are intertwined with one another. Over the summer, Planned Parenthood affirmed publicly that black lives matter, yet kills 247 black babies every day. Last year, the U.S. government gave over $617 million to Planned Parenthood and over $80 million more additional dollars in 
COVID stimulus funds. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, believed that the extermination of African Americans would better society. In her letter to Dr. Charles Gamble on December 19, 1939, she states, We should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds, with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. In other words, if black people catch on to what Planned Parenthood is trying to do, let us hire three or four ministers that will help kind of bring them back in to line. The niece of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has stated that Planned Parenthood is the most obvious practitioner of racism in the United States because one of its main targets is pregnant black women. There's a third area of life that I want us to think about, and that is euthanasia, assisted suicide, sometimes called mercy, mercy killing. Generally, it relates to the terminally ill, but some see depression or chronic illness as legitimate reasons to take someone else's life. The playwright and political activist George Bernard Shaw said, the moment we face it frankly, we are driven to the conclusion that the community has a right to put a price on the right to live in it. If people are fit to live, let them live under decent human conditions. If they are not fit to live, kill them in a decent human way. The unholy trifecta of abortion and racism and euthanasia are all demonic in origin. And as a church, we must have discernment to understand that that is the case. Jesus, in one way or another, had encounters with all three. He was born to a poor, unwed mother. He survived mass infanticide at the hands of the government. He was a man whose skin color would have ranged anywhere from olive to brown. His eyes most likely would have been brown. His hair would have been black or at least dark. And he was killed by the state because he cost the elite their power. As a church, we have to reckon with these areas of life and how they impact our thinking, our prayers, and our advocacy. While the scriptures may not specifically use the words abortion and racism and euthanasia, they do give us clarity on how we should believe and how we should act as it relates to life. All three of these are sin and a direct attack against the image of God, which is why we must understand the theology of the image of God because it is essential to understanding why the scourge of abortion and racism and mercy killing are sin. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 God says, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth 
and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're created in God's image. Humans, you and I in this room, we are created in God's image, which is why we are different and distinct from the animal kingdom that we might go to the zoo or we might have a dog or a cat as our pet. As human beings, we are distinct from all the rest of the created animals because we alone bear the image of God. This is what sets us apart as distinct and it is also the reason and why you and I as believers have to advocate for human life. We have to advocate for the respect of human life in all its forms and in all of its diversity. Because if I were to ask a spectrum of our congregation to come up here with different skin colors, every single one bears the image of God. When a child is conceived in the womb, a holy thing happens, and in the womb it is an image bearer. Even in the womb, as we read through the Christmas story, John the Baptist was aware and leaped in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. Alive, touched by God, bearing the Lord's image. God gave us personhood, the ability to make Decisions, set goals, and strive towards those goals. As God rules over the universe, we have been given the command to rule over the created order here on the earth. We've been given freedom in terms of the ability to make our own choices. And we were created in and for relationship as God himself exists in relationship. Relationship with God, us and him, and relationship with other people. And when sin came into the world, the image of God was not destroyed, but it was marred. In the garden, Adam and Eve reflected the full glory of God. And when they broke the one command, one command that they had, the image of God was broken. Jesus came as the perfect representation of God. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And when by faith we accept Christ, the image of God is spiritually restored in us. We reflect the glory of God through Christ even as we anticipate the full redemption of our bodies in the future. I actually had bought the materials to do an illustration on this point, and I left them home in my living room. 
The point being, if I were to set a mirror in front of you, you would see your reflection. If you were to come and you were to look in the mirror, you would see your full reflection. And that's the way it was in the Garden of Eden. But when sin came, it smashed the mirror. It didn't shatter it and destroy it, but it has broken it. And now when you look in the mirror, it is distorted. It is not as it was originally intended to be. And that is what sin has done. Sin has distorted. Sin has brought in this uh, desire for our own, for myself, instead of fully reflecting God's glory and being in his presence and loving his presence. Now, like Adam and Eve, we kind of cower back in fear in many ways from God, but we want to promote our own selves and live our own way and do our own thing. We want to exercise dominion for our own interest. When we accept Christ, that image of God, again, is restored in us spiritually. Though we still physically experience the effects of sin, the aging, the dying in our bodies, our spirit man is renewed because now the, the, uh, God sees us through the full glory of Jesus Christ who cleanses and covers us. The psalmist in 106 talks about what happens when we forsake the image of God for the image of ourselves. Recounts how the Israelites disobeyed God and instead of destroying the works of the devil, they got comfortable living with them. Instead of destroying the works of the devil, instead of destroying those who were against God, they got comfortable living in that culture. It's okay here. It's nice here. We don't want to have to push away the things of sin. In fact, now let's participate in those things. Instead of bringing the righteousness of God to Canaan, they accepted the pagan idolatry of the Canaanites, and they became loathsome in the sight of God. And they sacrificed their own children, the Scripture says, to demons. And this is what abortion is. It is a sacrifice to a demonic being. Righteous blood shed speaks. The Israelites were commanded to destroy the works of unrighteousness as they entered Canaan. God knew that if the demonic practices of the Canaanites were not eradicated, Israel will be tempted to join in them and worship those same demons. And instead of that eradication, they employed the tactic of accommodation, and accommodation led to full participation. sacrificed the children to demons. They shed innocent blood. And the Bible says the land became polluted with innocent blood. Today, just in the U.S., there have been 62 million babies that have been sacrificed to demons since 1973. In the approximate 90 minutes of this worship service, almost 8,000 babies will have been murdered by abortion in the world. The land has become polluted with innocent blood, and innocent blood speaks. 
In Genesis 4, Cain killed Abel, and Abel's righteous blood cried out to God. God heard, and God responded. The innocent blood of millions of aborted babies cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears. Like the Israelites, as the church, you and I are to destroy the works of the devil, but instead, like Israel, many of our church leaders have played the whore. We have tolerated abortion with some religious leaders even advocating for it. Some who stand as minister or preacher or bishop or whatever title you want to throw on it, stand before a camera and advocate and say, it's okay, it's fine. Playing the whore. We have looked the other way with regards to racism and we haven't respected the elderly to where they feel in their life at times that there is no longer a productive place for them. Human life we've cast aside in order to advocate for ourselves. Righteous blood speaks and it causes caused the true church to take up the spiritual weapons and fight against the works of the devil. Psalm 106, verses 40 through 43, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he abhorred his inheritance. He abhorred his people. He gave them into the hands of the nations. That's what they wanted. What they desired, that's what he gave them up to. Because righteous blood demands justice. When righteous blood is shed, justice is demanded. Because of the sin of the Israelite, God's anger was kindled against his people. He gave them over to the pagan nations who hated them and ruled harshly over them. Their enemies oppressed and abused them. It would be Seasons at times of repentance, but they simply were rebellious and sank further and further into their iniquity. There always comes a season of reckoning because the shedding of innocent blood demands justice. In our culture, in our country, most of what we see and what we here in the news, if you watch the news, I can't really watch it anymore. But what we hear about, what we see about is this, what is portrayed as this battle between uh, black and white people. But racism takes many forms, many parts of the world, many parts of uh, the world experience racism and all of its ugly, ugly forms, but I want to speak to one facet here, and because most of our experiences with racism that we may see or have experienced, some of you have experienced it, that relates to African Americans and whites, I want to share this illustration. Many of you heard the name Emmett Till. Who's heard that name before? Emmett Till. 
Emmett Till was a 14-year-old young man who was from Chicago who was visiting family in Mississippi in the 1950s. He'd gone into a locally owned grocery store, and in that grocery store there was a young uh, white uh, woman, 18 or so years old, and as he was leaving the store, the woman walked out as well, and he whistled at her. And he whistled at her and then got in the car and left and went home. A couple days later, at 2 a.m. in the morning, Emmett was dragged out of bed by two white men. He was pistol whipped, was beaten, was later shot in the head. His body was tied to a heavy fan and he was dumped in the river. His mutilated body was found three days later by a couple of fishermen floating in the river in Mississippi. His mother in Chicago insisted that an open casket be made for him. Now imagine a body that had been beaten and abused, thrown into the river for three days, tied to a heavy fan, and the mother saying, no, it's going to be an open casket. So a special casket was constructed, which you can actually see, I believe, in uh, the Smithsonian today. The casket was constructed so that a piece of glass would actually lay on the top of it to cover the body from the stench of the body. But his mother said, the world needs to see what has happened. And it was a watershed moment. When the church fails to speak up and fails to pray, nations and people fall into their most wicked and rebellious desires. We're not just praying for show at Riverstone Church. We're not just doing it to say we're doing it and someone else isn't. I believe that there is something effective about the body of Christ gathering together to pray for the redemption of the Lord, the redemption of his, uh, of his image that is in each one of us, to pray for the spirit of Christ to dwell and to be in God's church with God's people. The church gathering together corporately, taking up the spiritual weapons, taking up the spiritual weapons and fighting the spiritual battle. We have to pray. We have to seek the Lord. We have to call men to repentance. There has to be a repentance. There is not a political solution to this problem, although there are those who are called to the political realm. But what is first and foremost a solution is that the church would realize its commitment to pray and to ask God to glorify himself in the earth by redeeming unrepentant humanity. That there would be people who today who are involved in these sins who tomorrow encounter the Lord Jesus Christ and their emotions, their affections, their desires are changed from that of seeing someone else as lower than them, from that of seeing a child as nothing but a clump of cells, from that of seeing someone who is elderly as no longer valuable to society, so let's just move them right along to their eventual destiny. We 
When the church fails to speak up and fails to pray and nations and people fall to their most rebellious and wicked desires, we find ourselves in the midst of what we find ourselves. Instead of loving and glorifying the image of God in us, we treat it as disposable, even to the point of killing innocent life. Righteous blood speaks. Righteous blood does cry out for justice. Righteous blood also offers forgiveness. Despite all the wickedness which Israel had done in verses 44 through 48, if you read through that again, what you see is that when they cried out to the Lord, God remembered them. He made them objects of compassion in the presence of their captors. No matter what sin you may have committed, no matter how you may have thought of other people, no matter what you have done, no matter if you have, if you have been someone who felt you had no other choice and you aborted a child or you've looked at someone with racism or you maybe affirmed in your life, yeah, maybe that person is not valuable to society and it's just mercy to just let them kind of go on. Maybe today you're thinking, maybe my mind needs to be renewed. I can tell you today that if you cry out to the Lord and forgive, Forgiveness. He will have mercy on you. You don't have to bear the guilt of that sin anymore. You don't have to bear the guilt of your misplaced affections anymore. The scriptures share that God heard Abel's blood cry out to him from the ground. But Hebrews 12 and 24 tells us that there is a blood that speaks louder than Abel's. There is a blood that speaks louder than Abel's, and that is Jesus, who is the mediator of a new and better covenant and it speaks louder than the blood of Abel and God hears it and the new covenant says that there is forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have sinned and if you have fallen, there is a blood that speaks louder than the guilt of your sin. We should rejoice in that. We should be thankful for that. No matter what our sin no matter what we have done, no matter the difficult things that we have said, the things that we have done, the Lord Jesus Christ's blood is for you to cleanse you, to draw you close to him. He is not up in heaven rolling his eyes at you saying, who does this person think they are? Look at what they've done. There is therefore now no guilt, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We must be a church that stands firmly for the advocacy of life because it directly relates to our vision and our doctrine that you and I are image bearers of God. And the tiniest little infant that was just conceived in an instant bears the image and glory of God. It must be part of our prayers must be part of our action. With regards to abortion, as a church, we must be a place that advocates for fostering and adoption. 
We must be a church that cares about that, that loves that, that prays for those families who God is calling out to say, yes, you can adopt. Yes, you can foster. We must put funding towards that when it's necessary. We must put our prayers towards that. We must advocate for that. We must realize, some of us, that our experiences are not like others' experiences. And the way we think through how people should act or how people should respond is not always accurate until you walk a little while in someone else's shoes. Several years ago, several years ago now, uh, I had the privilege to go with two African-American brothers on a mission trip uh, to West Africa. One of the few mission trips I've had the opportunity to be on. Uh, on that trip, was, it was myself and two African-American brothers, and it was an interesting experience all the way around. Uh, we would be driving in a car through a village, and uh, many of the children had never seen a white man before. And they'd run after the car, white man, white man. <laughs> we went into one village one time, and a mother was holding, cradling her child, and the child was just screaming in terror. And the mother just kind of chuckles and laughs and said, She's laughing. He's laughing at, he's crying because of you. He thought you were a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but on the coast of Ghana, there's a castle uh, called the Cape Coast Castle, I believe. I was with a native Ghanaian, myself, and two African-American brothers. As we, uh, we had done some ministry around and the Ghanaian missionary who took us there, this was a kind of an educational sort of experience to be able to uh, see a piece of history, the Cape Coast Castle. Uh, come to find out what this place was, it was the uh, largest disembarkation point for African slaves going to the uh, Americas, mainly to, down to the uh, Caribbean area. And as you walked through that place, uh, I had a educational mindset, learning about this experience, seeing these uh, rooms. And the guide would say, in this room, there may have been even a thousand people crammed together. And there was one small window way up in the top that no one could reach. And they may have been crammed there for two to three weeks at a time, waiting for uh, their uh, disembarkation on some boat somewhere where they would be chained for weeks on end in the ship. And it was interesting. It was an educational lesson to me. The Ghanaian missionary and myself were going through this as we would have walked through the Smithsonian Institute up in D.C., looking at the history, being you know, touched by some of the things that went on. This is horrible. This is bad. This shouldn't have happened. All of the emotions that you think should come with an experience like that. But my two African-American brothers couldn't make it through. They couldn't walk through the entire uh, tour 
of the castle. Both of them, who I consider strong brothers in the faith, even today, still friends with them, care for them, neither one could make it through. The emotion was too overwhelming for what they both understood happened in their line, in their lineage. And I want you to think about that in terms of our compassion for other people. And I want you to think about that in terms of our care for other people. There are those who maybe have had an abortion, maybe even in this sanctuary this morning. I want to tell you that, yes, I believe it is sin, but I also believe that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you are just as loved as anyone else in this congregation. And I didn't walk your journey, and I may not understand all of your journey, but I do know there is forgiveness. I do know there is grace at the cross. And what I want you to also know is as a church, we're going to advocate and pray and ask the Lord that it doesn't happen to anyone else ever again. Maybe you've held racist views in your past. Or maybe you have been one who has been on the other side, the receiving side of racism. I haven't walked your shoes. I don't know your experience. But what I do know, there is both forgiveness for the racist and there is healing for the one who has been offended. There is grace from the Lord Jesus Christ that is able to come and is able to bind you up and to bring healing and grace to you. And maybe we haven't thought better of life, particularly those of old age. And I want to speak particularly to those of you who are younger. Respect the gray hair. Respect those who have traveled along life's way, who have experienced certain journeys. Respect them even maybe when they are in old age and all the mental faculties may not be processing quite as fast as what they used to be or maybe disease kind of comes in and begins to take over. Understand that that person until the last dying breath bears the image of God and is due respect and honor for bearing that image. We must be a church that stands firmly for the advocacy of life. We must long after the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come once again and set all things right. Because this is what I know that right now there are aborted infants in heaven crying out for justice. What I know is that there, there are those who have been treated wrongly based on skin color who are in heaven crying out, how long, O oh Lord? But you and I can be part of the solution. Psalm 106, they cried out, in verse 47, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us 
from among the nations. Save us, O Lord God, and gather our minds back from the worldly ways of thinking to give thanks to your holy name and to glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all people say, Amen. Amen. And praise the Lord. Will you stand with me as we go to a time of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I know this message may not be a message that is a shout down the aisle message because it calls each of us to reckon with our heart and how we view other people. Lord God, this is why I believe so firmly in what this church is doing to try to rescue those who are caught in sin and caught in addiction. Lord, it is from your grace and your mercy that you have called us to this purpose, Lord Jesus. We are not going to look at other people askance. We're not going to look at other people like something's wrong with them and we don't want to associate. We are going to run to those who have been hurting and run to those who have been broken and we're going to cry out on your on their behalf to you, oh Lord Jesus, because they bear your image, oh God. Bring, oh God, those who may not look like us, who may not have been as cleaned up and known all the right things to say and all the right things to do. Bring them, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to speak the words of truth and the words of grace to them, Lord Jesus. pray against that demonic altar on hydraulic road. I curse it in the name of Jesus. I pray the earth would swallow that facility up. that there would be no one else sacrificed on his altar. God, I pray we would never get comfortable driving by that place. But that every time we would look at it and we would pray for those who feel they have no other choice but to go there. Those women who oftentimes feel pressure from men in their life who don't want to stand up and be a man. Those women who walk through the door. Lord God, who feel a pressure from family and pressure from others. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would see another way. those who've been violated and sinned against. A man who's not willing to covenant in marriage but wants to enjoy the benefits. God, I pray you would remove from us
the scourge of racism that would sit, think that simply because I have a different skin tone that I'm better than someone else. And that person isn't worthy to live. I believe what the scripture says. Yes, there might be a variety of skin tones, but there is one race, the human race. You created one race, oh God, one race. And in heaven, in glory, there will be people who look different from every nation, tribe, and tongue. All of them in unity and one accord, proclaiming the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, that you will help us to know and to understand that, God. And as a church, we would never, ever, ever, Lord Jesus, be tempted to think that we are better than someone based on a skin tone. God, as a church, we would do what the scriptures call us to do. To honor the aged life. To respect the aged life and to know that we should pray and advocate for those who are nearing the end of life until you naturally call them to glory. I pray as a church we would not get comfortable in this world. We would not get comfortable with the nations around us that say these things are okay and these things are all right. I pray, oh God, that you will help us as your people to walk faithfully before you in this way. And now this morning, I'm going to ask you that if you're here and you need to repent or you need the grace of God to be poured out to you, you're welcome to come to the altar and spend some time in prayer as we sing and lift up our voices to the Lord as we conclude this time together. If you need prayer, you need someone to meet you in prayer, Please come and do that now. If you need the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not know him. You are not in a saving relationship with Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.